Ephesians 3, as they continue to collect, uh, we've been working through Ephesians 3. We've uh, had a few weeks off. Uh, We had the installation service um, uh, where we looked at Ezekiel 34, um, but uh, also missing last week due to weather concerns. And so we're going to jump back in here to Ephesians 3. Now, I started to do... um, this uh, Ephesians 3 for the installation service uh, because there is a lot of good stuff here um, that those being installed as elders and deacons need to to listen and to focus in on and understanding the privilege that is yours to serve in that way. But the scope here is not merely for the officers. It is for everyone. And so officers, please do indeed listen intently um, as we look at the privileges described here, but also for the congregation. All of, all of us have this new privilege in Jesus Christ, as we just sang about moments ago in that song, All I Have is Christ. It's such a wonderful presentation of the progression that leads, that that describes what it means to have been brought out of darkness and into life, uh, into light uh, in Jesus Christ, and to celebrate um, who Jesus is and that union that we have with, with Christ and his work leading into our opening ourselves up to his service. Um, now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so that all might see that your very life is, is revealing God and his work to those around you. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose. As we look um, here at Ephesians 1, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, as we look at this, these two paragraphs together again, that's what we are going to be focusing in on today as we, we think about mission, bearing witness even to the spiritual powers. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom 
of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is amazing that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. You have made known to us the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. But you have also, Lord, given us the amazing privilege of not only being recipients of that treasure, but being stewards of it for others. And so help us to listen to you today that we may once again be reminded of the treasures of Christ that we have received so that we would become gripped by your cosmic purposes, that our lives now serve as conduits of those blessings to others. Lord, free us through your word from self-focus, from self-reverence, from self-sufficiency, from self-reliance, from a self-focus that does not live for others. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We have looked at these two paragraphs uh, in the way that we have, um, I noted several weeks ago, because what Paul does in the communication, uh, in his communication in these two passage, or these two paragraphs, is he is really worked up. He starts one sentence that he never finishes until we get to chapter four. And, and in, he starts this sentence in which he is recounting how awesome it is um, to, to uh, be a recipient of this extravagant grace of God in Jesus Christ. In the first two chapters, he unfolds the extravagance of God's grace and God's provisions and all that he has done for us in Jesus Christ and how he has taken, taken us as being uh, those who were in darkness and in sin and dead in that sin to being made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And he has done this not just for us as individuals, but corporately, he is now building us into this promised eschatological temple of the Lord that we see unveiled in Revelation 21 and 22. This is who we are. This is the amazing identity that God has given to us. And Paul, as he is starting this transition of moving from the, the, the power of this gospel to the, the practice of the gospel for the people of God, it, you can tell he becomes gripped by what it has meant for him. Paul was the Hebrew of Hebrews. 
Paul, who describes himself in Philippians as being someone who, should ha- who could have had confidence in the flesh according to the Judaistic religion of the day. He was circumcised the eighth day, born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee, which meant from his perspective, he was of the spiritual elite. He was someone who you were to look up to. He was someone that that you should want to be. He was a persecutor of the church, and he took delight when, when he was persecuting. He took delight that he thought he was protecting the integrity of God by persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ. With regards to the way the the Judaistic religion pursued things of that day, he said that he was blameless with regards to the law. It's a pretty high view of yourself, right? God has nothing on me, is what he thought. But then he shifts, and through the power of Christ who who invaded his life and and revealed himself to Paul, Paul was freed of all of that self-righteousness. He was freed of all of that self-focus and self-reliance to the point that here in Ephesians 3, he describes himself as now being the least of all the saints. Hebrew of Hebrews to least of all the saints. He has been gripped by the power of the gospel in his life, not just for salvation, but for his person, what it means for him as a person. He is the least of the saints, and he is now freely in prison because of his service of the Christ whom he attempted to persecute. And he has been freed from his prejudice and bias, not only against followers of Jesus, but against Gentiles. And he has now served Gentiles to the point of being imprisoned for them because he wanted them to know the power of Jesus Christ. And so he, in, because of the way he is reflecting on his own uh, a benefit of what it has meant for him to be in Christ, and as he is thinking about this to convey to the Ephesian believers and to convey to you and I just how glorious it is to be in Jesus Christ, not only with regards to what we get, but who we are made to be and the mission that we are brought into. He, he is reflecting over this, and, and his thoughts are kind of all over the map. And so we've looked at this, in diff, we've looked at these two paragraphs from different angles because there's not a clear thought-for-thought progression through these paragraphs. So what we have seen is the power of the gospel in, in Paul's life, but also in the life of the Gentile believers there in Ephesus. He has recounted the purposes of God as the mystery of Jesus Christ, which God formulated before the foundations of the world. As God revealed that mystery in Christ, you have these eternal purposes of the triune God being made known. 
And that the, what, what Paul says, the culmination of this eternal purpose realized in Christ is that Jew and Gentile have been made one in Christ with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The union and communion that has existed within the triune God for all of eternity is now a union and communion that you and I share in Christ. And not just, Paul says, not just Jews who came to embrace Jesus, but even Gentiles. Which, by the way, you and I are Gentiles. We have been drawn into the eternal union and communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we have been drawn together into one another's union and communion. This mystery of Christ is that God has a cosmic plan in which some from every tribe, tongue, and nation are being built together into the temple presence of God. We are a community of believers. We're not just individuals who have been saved. Now, Lord willing, you have received Jesus Christ by faith. And Lord willing, you have been saved in Jesus Christ. But God's purpose is not just to save you. God's purpose is to incorporate you into himself and into one another. We are a community of faith. We are fellow heirs, he says. We are members of the same body, he says. We are partakers of the promise, he said. We don't live for ourselves. We live for one another as we live for God. We looked at the power of the gospel, the purposes of God. We looked at the progressive nature of God's work. That God doesn't do everything all up front, all at once. But God begins a work and then he patiently oversees that work as it grows and as it develops. As, as the acorn blossoms into the oak tree. God doesn't just start all at once. He builds and he progresses and he moves his, his, the development of his kingdom through time. And it begins with God choosing to reveal himself. And when he reveals himself, he doesn't reveal everything, but he constantly is revealing more and more and more of himself. And we need this. Because sinful, rebellious men and women will not look to Jesus Christ unless God initiates a revelation to them. And God in his grace initiates. He makes himself known. And he brings men and women out of darkness and into light. And he does this patiently. And as we've talked about, beloved, this is part of the hope that we have as God's people. Is that God is patient with his own purposes. And that frees us from being frantic about God's purposes. It frees us to rest 
in Jesus Christ. Not a rest that means we kick back on our spiritual lazy boys and just you know, wait to see what God's going to do, but that as we are serving with God alongside him, we do so in the same patience in which God himself is working. That means you get to be patient with yourself. You get to be patient with your own progress in sanctification. It means you get uh, to be patient with, with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As I'm sure all of us have experienced being rubbed raw by another believer. And how easy is it for us to just jump to, well, you shouldn't do that. You're a, you're a Christian. No, as a Christian, they're going to still sin. And as a Christian, your call is to reflect the patience of God with those people. That person is in Christ. You are in Christ. That person is accepted as righteous. You are accepted as righteous. The Lord patiently grows that person until they become in fullness who God has accepted them to be. And he does the same thing with you. We don't have to be frantic about participating in the purposes of God. It is progressive. It takes place over time and through time, which allows us to be patient. So this is what we have looked at, at, at so far. We're going to close today with looking at this privilege of our participation in God's mission itself. The power of the gospel draws us into this mission, and the purposes of God are his mission. And the progressive nature of God's work is that that mission is is, is, is uh, being unfolded a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. But here we're going to close with this privilege as we look at the way that Paul describes his participation and the church's participation in the mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice he says here that uh, this, this participation that we have, this privilege that we have as being part of God's ministry, it is a gift. It is a gift that God gives to us. It is not something that we earn or that we deserve. God's grace draws us out of sin and darkness, and it draws us into God's service. This is a privilege that not everyone has unless they have been made new in Jesus Christ. And it is a glorious privilege. And so I want you today as we take a few minutes to reflect on some of the descriptions that are provided here, I want you to open yourself to what it means to be on mission with God and to let go of, 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 of saying to yourself or asking yourself, okay, how does what's being talked about in the text or how does what the, 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 the pastor is talking about, how does that affect me? I want you to not think that way. 
And I want you to open yourself up to catching a sense of the glorious privilege of who you are and what it means for your participation in God's mission. This mission, it is a gift that God provides. And so from the very beginning, your calling to bear witness to Jesus Christ, that is a gift that God has given you. It is not, um, it is not something, it is not a stone that is placed around your neck. It is a gift that your life now has meaning beyond yourself. It is a gift from God. It comes from God, and it can only be uh, something that you enjoy if he gives it. Is this how you approach serving in the church or serving your neighbor? Is this how you approach what it means for you to bear witness to Jesus Christ in every area of your life with the different relationships that you have, whether that be at home or at work or at school? on your sports team? Is this how you perceive of that calling? Is it a glorious privilege and a gift from God, or is it something that weighs you down, that you get scared of, or that you get prideful about? It is given as a gift, and it is given, notice here, by God's power. Meaning, if God doesn't give it, you don't. God exercises his power, not just in saving us. He exercises his power in drawing us into his mission. And notice what it says here is if you're drawn by God's power into this mission, what you have been made is a steward of God's grace. Steward here is just another, another word for household management. It, it, it refers to the person who works for someone else to manage that person's resources, um, not manage his own resources. A, a steward does not have any is not does not have you know something in and of himself. He's been given something, and now his job is to take care of that and to utilize it properly. That's what a steward is. And that's who you are in Jesus Christ. You have received the eternal, the extravagant grace and purpose of God in Christ. And you are now a manager of that grace. And a manager here, not only for yourself, by the way, you have to start there. If you do not act as a steward of God's grace to yourself, you can't act as a steward of God's grace to others. But you are a manager of God's grace, which means your participation in the mission of God does not come from within yourself. The message that you are sharing, the life that you are living, the grace that you, that you are spreading, it doesn't come from within you. It comes from God to you, and you are now sharing that with those around you. You are a steward. 
You don't, you don't have to come up with it. You simply act as a, as, as a server. You're a waiter. You're a waitress. Taking what God has, has, has cooked up and you are providing it to the people around you. Now, one of the things this means then is participating in the mission of God is not complicated. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. You don't have to sit around and dream up some complicated plan about how to be a conduit of God's grace to the people around you. Can strategies be helpful? Absolutely. But often can strategies become hindrances? Yes. This is not technical. It is not complicated. It is as simple as opening yourself up to the Lord and saying, take my ransom life and use it in any way you choose. You're a steward, a steward of God's grace. We are preachers of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, part of what this means is that apart from God revealing Christ, Christ cannot be known. And how does God, uh, in, a, in his uh, common, usual manner, choose to do this? He does it through us. Which means if Christ isn't preached, he will not be known. Now, can God work beyond that? Absolutely. But he has revealed to us that his chosen way of getting Christ known throughout this world is for you and I to participate in the communication of Christ. We are preachers of the unsearchable riches of Christ, and if we do not preach, people will not hear. And if people do not hear, how can they be saved? But more and beyond that, he says, we are preachers of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Not only can they not be known unless God, you know, someone reveals them, but technically here, the word means untraceable, inscrutable, fathomless. The, the, the riches of Christ that you and I get to share with other people is are riches that have no bottom. They are riches that have no top. They are riches that are, is, it is impossible for us to come to fully realize and enjoy because it will take us an eternity to take them in. Eternity is not, you know, the first few thousand years getting to know things better and then, you know, just kind of plateauing, right? It's not a diet program. It's not your reading through the Bible program. It is getting to know the eternal God, the eternal triune God, the, the truth that we are communicating to people. That's the truth that we are communicating. Now, does it grip you that way? Or do you get scared? I'm going to have to talk about, you know, religion. I might have to talk about sin. Or I might have to talk about a bloody cross. I might have to talk about a dead man being raised from the dead. 
It doesn't always go over very well. But do you see it as something that you have to be worried about? Something that you have to back away from? Or are these unsearchable riches that bring people out of darkness and into light? Are these unsearchable riches that bring them out of death and into life? Are they unsearchable riches that it will take us an eternity to appreciate? Where we will never reach the bottom nor reach the top. Is this how you view the gospel of Jesus Christ? Notice here, he says, we are to bring to light what is veiled to those in darkness. And he says we are to do this with everyone. Bear witness to everyone. Now, how do we know that he really means everyone? Well, he says, well, God created everything, so bear witness to everything. But the calling that we have and the privilege that we have in Jesus Christ is to receive and to be conduits or managers or stewards of these unsearchable riches, and we are to do that with everyone and everything. You are to do this with yourself. You're to do this with your spouse. You're to do this with your children. You are to do this with your neighbor, your coworker, your friend at school. As we said before, you're to do this even with the Democrats. Or maybe especially, I don't know. But there is nothing, there is no hindrance, there is no line, there is no fence that says once you have borne witness this far, you're done. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Is this how you view what we are going to be doing in starting the, the English as a second language ministry out of this church? That we are participating in this, this, this global plan that God has as we share Christ and we help people learn a language that will help them function better within this world as those who have been made in the image of God that God has been pleased to bring the nations to us. This is what we're doing. We're bearing witness to who Christ is and what Christ has done. We are bearing witness to unsearchable riches. But notice here, it's not just to every tribe, tongue, and nation. For notice that he says that as we bear witness, the church is bearing witness to the manifold wisdom of God being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Is this how you view your service to God? That your life is a testimony, not only to those around you that you can see, that you can touch, that you can talk to, but your life serves as a witness to the spiritual powers that also were created by God, which are invisible to us. This, this realm of spirit beings, as the Bible unfolds for us, where there are these servants of God, uh, these different 
uh, servants of God that we often lump into one group called angels. And there are these fallen servants of God that we tend to lump into one group and call them demons. There is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual reality. And the life that you and I live is a life of bearing witness, not only to what we can see and interact with, it also includes bearing witness to the spiritual powers of the heavenly places. Notice that in our call to worship from Psalm 103, and you can read this in Psalm 29 and so many other psalms, that that call to witness that we heard this morning was a call that went out not only to the church, it went out also to the angels. Notice back in Psalm 103, uh, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones, which is another phrase used throughout the Old Testament, to describe angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the, uh, the voice of his, of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts. The, uh, the word in Hebrew means armies. The armies of the Lord are to praise the Lord and bless the Lord, all his works. This is where you and I come in. But this call to, to embrace God and to, to embrace uh, how awesome he is, and to reflect that in praise and worship is something that even the spirit beings that we cannot see, that they are called to participate in doing. And when you and I live to the glory of God, as through the power of his grace, we seek to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We try to, to, to grow in our sanctification and in our devotion to God. And as we gather together in worship to God, and when we take the word of God to the nations, we are bearing witness even to the spirit beings that Jesus Christ is alive and that he is still on mission. Does your view of your service to God include the cosmic dimension of these eternal purposes? Or do you tend to reduce them to the, whatever is right there in front of you? What this means is when you, as a servant of the Lord, serve as a conduit of his grace in the way that you respond to somebody, that you are bearing witness to the cosmic powers of who Jesus is and who you are in him. When we gather to worship here on Sunday, and this is one of the reasons it's been so difficult through COVID, as we have understood as a session here, we understand people have to make wise decisions for themselves based on their own health, based on their weaknesses, based on their concerns, whatever, right? We know everyone has to make decisions uh, wise decisions for themselves about whether or not they want to get around a bunch of people where there may be one person that has COVID that can spread it. We get that. And we have sought to be kind and gracious. We have encouraged you to live um, with that wisdom. We have encouraged you, if you come, to you know, come with the idea of serving others around you, taking the precautions that you need to take to come and to be part of this. But what has made things so difficult is not COVID. What has made things so difficult is one of the primary ways that you and I gather together in service to the Lord in which we bear witness to the cosmic powers that Jesus Christ is alive is when we gather here. 
And when we listen to the voice of the Lord and we respond in singing, in praising, in praying, in asking for help, that what we are doing here is not just getting together to try to have you know, some, a, a time of encouragement as you go back out into the world. What you are doing, what you are currently right now participating in is bearing witness to the cosmic powers of who Jesus is. And the lordship of Jesus Christ is not just words that we declare. It is a reality that we reveal when we get together in praise and service to him. Is this how you view ministry? Is this how you view coming to church on Sunday? Is this how you view getting together in small groups and in Bible studies and these different things when we get together with you know, the men getting together and, and the women getting together and all these different things? Do you view it as an opportunity to clump together to bear witness to the spiritual powers? Because that is the glorious privilege of what it means to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. It is a gift given by God. It is given by God's power. Lastly, it's carried out in God's power. The only barrier to your participation in the mission of God is an inflated sense of your own self-importance. It's the only barrier. The only barrier to your participation in the mission of God is an inflated sense of your own self-importance. And this can be borne out in two different ways. It can be borne out in a pride that flows out of self-reliance. And it can be borne out in a fear that questions God's power. You see, both of those, whether it's pride or fear, you are focused on yourself. You are either focused on what you think are your strengths and your capabilities, or you are focused on, your, uh, on what you think are your weaknesses and your incapacities. Both of those are just focus on the self. Pride and fear. But notice what he says. Our boldness for participating in the mission of God comes from our union with Jesus Christ. The boldness that you need. And boldness doesn't have to be that you sweep into the room and you overtake whatever is happening. Boldness is trusting God enough to attempt something for his glory. Boldness in Christ is not, okay, Jesus, you're awesome. Now let me go out and show everyone how awesome you are. Boldness is, Christ, I need you to live out this privilege that I have. And apart from you, I can do nothing. You see, that's what biblical boldness is about. It's not about amping yourself up. Well, I studied God's word. You know, I didn't miss one quiet time this week, so now I am really ready. Boldness is resting in Christ. It's cultivating that sense of who you are in him and opening yourself up to allowing him to reveal himself through you. Fear can get in the way 
self-reliance can get in the way. Our boldness is in Christ, and it comes from the confident access that we have in Christ. Which means we come here, we gather together in the confidence that God receives us as his people because of Jesus Christ. That we don't come trembling into this place unless you are someone who has not embraced Jesus Christ as your righteousness. So that even as we come before the Lord, as we came before the Lord in confession of sin, we don't tremble before him, not wondering what's going to happen when we confess. We come in the confidence of knowing that our Father hears us, knowing we're weak, but also knowing that he has given us everything we already need in Christ. And so we do come and we do truly confess our sin, but not trembling, scared about not knowing what's going to happen, but in the confidence of realizing that whatever I am about to confess, the Lord has already forgiven when he poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross. Boldness and confidence doesn't mean swagger. It just means humble reliance upon the Lord. You see, it's not technical. It is not complicated to participate in the service of God. Just rest in Christ and open yourself up to be a tool that Christ will use in whatever situation you find yourself. Even when you're driving down the road, even when you're playing golf, maybe especially then. No, in everything. Whether you're changing a diaper, you're changing that diaper to the glory of God in Christ as someone who is participating in revealing God's kindness to that child. It does not matter. There is not one thing that you can engage in in this life that robs you of the opportunity to do it as a servant of God unless what you're doing is sin. And that's what sin is for us, beloved. It is those times in which we rob ourselves of participating and bearing witness to Jesus Christ. But when you take a step back from that sin and you engage in repentance of that sin and you confess it before the Lord and you preach the gospel to yourself once again and you rest in Christ in a fresh way, guess what? Even in your confession of sin and reliance upon Jesus Christ and his grace, you are bearing witness to the Christ who is alive. Everything about every second that you engage in is an opportunity Because remember, you don't have to have another person right there to bear witness to Christ because you are bearing witness to the cosmic powers of the heavenly places. And so it all comes down to a participation in the life of Christ himself. The Christ who suffered in order to accomplish God's purposes in which that suffering led to exaltation and glory. Notice here Paul says, don't get worked up about my suffering for you because this is part of the way that we bear witness to the Christ who is alive and who is superior. Paul doesn't let prison 
keep him from ministering. But even in prison, he is living for the glory of God in Christ as he lives to share that with those around him. What are you allowing to hinder you from participating in this cosmic mission of Christ as someone who has received the unsearchable riches of Christ freely given by faith and by faith alone? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use your word to restructure our priorities and to restructure the way that we view our everyday lives. Lord, free us from thinking that participating in the mission of Christ requires us to go to Africa, although we can go to Africa for the, for the glory of your great name. But it can simply be opening ourselves up to go to the person next to us. Or it can simply be to open ourselves up to even when we are alone, we live in devotion to you as, as a declaration that you are far superior in worth than anything else in this world. Father, use your word within our lives to remake us into the image of your son, that as we participate in his life and in his mission, we would ourselves do so with the boldness and the confidence that our suffering also is leading to the exaltation and to the glory of Jesus Christ. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.